Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. So, as I just mentioned, uh, the pandemic was a challenging time, a tragic time for many people. But at the same time, it birthed a lot of careers. It maybe caused a lot of people to reconsider their life choices and what's really important, how much time they actually think they have. And it seems like for you, that might have been the case. So, before we get into what you're doing now, I'm curious to know, what were you doing before the pandemic and before you made these major changes? Yeah, I mean, I have done a lot of different things throughout my life. I went to university and then I got an office job. Then I worked freelance as a copywriter. I moved to the UK for a year with my partner at the time. So I've kind of jumped around to different things. I've never had a very steady um, mindset when it came to what I wanted to do or be. And I guess that kind of has led to where I am now, in a sense, is kind of what needed to happen for my journey. But up until the pandemic, yeah, I was kind of just allowing myself to figure out, try and figure out what I wanted to do. And a lot of my journey revolved around the fact that I knew I needed to start therapy because I knew I wasn't living in alignment. And I put it off for a while. And it was when I started therapy and started unlocking a lot of my behaviors and my patterns and gaining more awareness around those that everything started shifting. And then, of course, with the pandemic, it was accelerated. That shift was really accelerated because like you said, we had to all kind of think about life and time and what we wanted to do if we didn't know what tomorrow holds. Yeah. It's, it's gotta be challenging, especially in the twenties, right? Cause you're young and you're kind of confused about life in general. And then you get hit with the pandemic, which is something that at least in our generation, we, I don't think we've ever experienced something of that magnitude to where the whole planet is like, in panic and you really just don't know what's going to happen. You don't know where to go, who to look to, what's true. Even what you're seeing on your phone, you're trying to like stay updated and informed. It's dividing families and shit like that. I mean, it was just a really, really crazy time, but I want to go back to what you said at the beginning, which was you felt you weren't in alignment at some point. What do you mean by that? What's alignment? I, yeah, I mean, I often felt like I was not 
truly being myself for a lot of my life. I felt like I had to mask in many ways. And, uh, you know, that was often because I felt like I had to be a certain kind of way to be valued or appreciated or just approved of. So a lot of my life and everything I thought I should be doing or what I was doing was with that in mind all the time, that I had to be a certain way. I had to act a certain way. I couldn't be myself. And because I was never being myself or being the, the core version of myself, that I knew was deep down somewhere there. Um, everything I did never felt quite right. So that's why I often jumped from thing to thing, trying to figure out what it was that was supposed to make me feel right. But now as, as we learn, you know, it's not one thing that's supposed to make you feel right. That feeling is there within you. You have to kind of just tap into it. That's really hard though, right? When you're, you know, 21, 22, even for mm. some 27, 28, if you don't have necessarily any role models or guides or anybody who's been where you've been or, or anybody who kind of understands what you're trying to achieve, it's really easy to get lost in a, a sea of content. When you go and looking for answers, you get caught up in like the toxic positivity and self-improvement and mm. rah-rah, and you might just end up chasing your tail in that space too. So was there something specific that happened that led you to say, okay, this is the day I need to go see a therapist. I need to get help because shit's just not going the way I needed to go or what? Yeah, definitely. And I, I will say that I am a millennial. So I was on the internet before we have it in the way that it is right now. We have all this content going on constantly. We're finding people that are more like us. I had a very limited uh, scope of what it meant to be kind of human based on what we're seeing online. Um, so for most of my early 20s, I knew I wanted to explore topics like the ones I talk about now, but I didn't know how to go about doing that. And you're right, there was something specific that happened that led me to therapy, which was my partner at the time. So a big part of my story is that I was with a partner for seven years. So from my early 20s to my late 20s, so very formative time in my life, he got a job overseas uh, in the UK and uh, asked if I wanted to go with him. And there was nothing really holding me back from doing that, right? There was nothing, I didn't have like a job that I was really tied to. I was working freelance, so I could do it easily. And so I agreed but deep down, it didn't feel quite right. And it was almost like the moment I agreed to that, there were a lot of sleepless nights. It was just, I was tossing and turning. I was, it just didn't sit right with me. And while, you know, fast forward, I enjoyed the experience. I also realized in that moment that I'm doing things that I don't want to do because I think others deserve to be happier than me. You know, giving that, that kind of happiness to somebody else at the expense of my own. So that's what triggered me to go to therapy. And it was in the summer of 2018 that I kind of really explored these topics and shifted a lot of my perspective. Even though I still did the thing that I kind of went to therapy for, I still went through with it. Mm -hmm. It was that experience alone that really shifted the entire trajectory of my life and how I saw myself. So when he asked you to go to the UK with mm -hmm. him, how old were you at the time? I was probably... 25. Oh, yeah. So yeah, it sounds like this was a pretty serious relationship. We're talking, you said 21 to I think 28. You were mm -hmm. with, I mean, seven years is quite a long time. Was this your first like serious committed relationship as well? It was my first relationship ever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. rough, man. That's rough. And I know that um, a lot of people find themselves in similar situations where maybe they don't have much relationship experience and don't even have a good example of what a healthy relationship is at home. And then they get into this thing. And even if it's not the best for them, they kind of like you spend 
almost an entire decade of what seems to be or what is known as our golden years, the 20s when you're free and you can experiment. And you're kind of locked into this relationship. But in your content these days, you talk a lot about um, kind of making peace with the past and understanding that even if in that moment it felt tragic and it didn't really work out for you, there's still a lot to be learned from it so that you can then go on and live a better life. So how did you even get to the point where you could see it that way? Because most people looking back would feel like, man, I just wasted seven years of the most valuable years of my life. I'm fucked. What am I supposed to do now? Yeah. I mean, what I will say is that I, that relationship was great. It was a very healthy relationship. The parts that I struggled the most were within my own self-expression. Honestly, it was me being able to feel comfortable being completely and totally myself. So while the relationship was very healthy, very loving, very safe and consistent, all the good stuff you'd want from a relationship, it had that. But at the same time, you can have all that great stuff. And if you are not in alignment with yourself and your needs, it can still lead to a lot of, you know, misalignment in how it unfolds. So part of the way that I can look back and, and be thankful and grateful for it is the fact that it was, it was good. It was a great experience. It allowed me to see that, that love and companionship, it can be healthy and that it is something that I think we should all strive to find in whatever way works for us, but coming from a place of that, that self-expression, that knowing that I, I trust myself to say what I need to say in whatever I, way I need to say it so that I can be as authentic as possible. That's something interesting uh, that you talk a lot about in your videos too, which is the idea of trusting oneself. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things that you talk about that really resonates with me. And I'm sure a lot of other people that might be listening because when you're young and you find yourself making a lot of dumb decisions or just feeling lost and going down these paths that end up being dead ends and stuff like that, you might get to a point where you lose trust in yourself after watching yourself make so many decisions that you know are bad for you, but you do them anyway for some twisted belief that you have to do it. So then you start like, even when you try to put your life back together and just move on, you don't necessarily feel confident enough to do it because you're like, man, I've already made so many dumb decisions. I'm just going to fuck this up like I did everything else. This is going nowhere. And you get into that negative, like self-defeating mindset. And so I'm curious to know, like your experience rebuilding that trust with yourself, how does it even begin and where do you start once you've lost that trust? Yeah. Yeah. It is a, a difficult process to go through when you chip away at that self-trust with every decision you make. And every time you don't stick to something you say you're going to stick to, that self-trust is getting smaller and smaller each time. So yeah, anytime you want to do something and you find something you really, you really want to do, you don't trust yourself to do it properly. Or you, you then might not even do it anyway, because you're like, I know I'm going to mess it up. I know I can't trust myself. So I'm not even going to try. I'm not even going to ask for what I want. So Either way, you're you're failing either way just by not asking because you already believe you're you're not going to do what you need to do, and really it just comes down to small acts of trust with yourself. You know that's how I rebuilt my self trust is is showing myself small things or or doing small tasks throughout the day, setting those intentions and following through, and they can be small. It could be as simple as I use this example a lot, but like making your bed in the morning making your bed is not moral. It's not like a good or bad thing to do it or not do it. But it's just about saying to yourself, okay, I'm going to do this because I know I'm going to enjoy coming home to a nicely made bed at night. And so you then, your future self trusts your past self to do those things and stick to them. And the more you do small things like that, inconsequential things almost, you build up that self-trust. And then over time, you 
have more and more evidence to believe that, yeah, actually I can trust myself. Are you familiar with Dr. Jordan B. Peterson and his work? I am, yeah. Yeah, he talks a lot about something that you just mentioned, which is the idea of like cleaning your room. I'm not sure if mm-hmm. you've heard this, but the basic idea for anyone listening is, you know, if you find yourself in a really dark place and you're just in the midst of chaos, nothing's going right for you and you want to rebuild yourself and then your life, one simple thing you can do, which is almost symbolic, even though you should do it literally, is just clean your room. Just every day wake up and like set this little corner of your universe in order. And at least you start with a small win and you know that before you leave the house, at least everything at home is in order and you'll come back to a house that's in order. And I think when you think about it like a metaphor, it's kind of the same thing. It's just starting with something that seems so insignificant, so like small and tiny that it would never make a real difference in building confidence. But like you just said, it kind of snowballs into other things. But I'm just thinking about somebody who's in that chaos right now. They're 24 years old. Maybe they just finished university. They don't want to get their master's. They don't want to jump into the rat race, but they also don't necessarily have a network. They don't have friends. They can't afford therapy. They got toxic parents, whatever. They're just in some deep shit, you know? Did you ever find yourself in a situation like that? Can you relate to that position? And if so, I mean, apart from cleaning your room, more realistic things or just other things that people can do to kind of get out of that space, what would you recommend? Yeah, I mean, I think when you can't turn outwards and have those external support systems, you have to turn inwards. And for me, that the main tool that I have always used throughout my life that has really supported me and my growth has been journaling and really getting in touch with myself and understanding myself in a deep way and having like deep conversations and important, uncomfortable conversations with myself in the pages of a journal that I know nobody else is going to read, right? Unless, you know, <laughs> I, I die one day and like <laughs> they find all my journal somewhere. But for the most part, you know, it's a, it's your space where you can speak however you want to speak and really dive into all the uncomfortable, vulnerable things that you might not be wanting to face. That's the place to do it because until you face those things, you can't, you can't fix them. You can't work towards them because you're not seeing them for what they are. Yeah. That's definitely true. But so is it really just, I mean, as simple as sitting down and just writing? I mean, what do you even begin to write about? How do you know if you're doing it correctly? Yeah, I mean, there's no correct right or wrong, good or bad journaling. But the way I encourage anyone who wants to start journaling is to just talk to yourself like you're talking to a friend and see yourself kind of like two different people, right? You're having a conversation and you're sitting down, you're you're having a meeting and saying, okay, what do we need to sort out right now? What, what are we really thinking about right now? What's really pressing on us and weighing on our minds that we can't work through? And just dumping it, dumping it all out. It doesn't have to be messy. It doesn't have to be clean and tidy. And, you know, your spelling doesn't have to be right. Just get it all out. Because I think so many of us keep everything in our heads to the point where we get so confused. We don't understand where what our direction is, where we're going, what we need to do, what we're trying to focus on. And so just letting it all out and releasing it can be so therapeutic on its own and also lets you physically see exactly what those thoughts are. Like what exactly you're ruminating on, what self-limiting beliefs you have that you might not know are playing in the background of your mind. You're bringing them out into the light. And that's some scary shit for a lot of people, yeah. especially if um, you grew up in a situation where it wasn't okay to express yourself. So you you almost feel like you have to hold things in or maybe you're seen as weak or a coward or needy and shit like that. So I imagine a lot of people don't give themselves love because they were deprived of it at some point in their upbringing. So like learning to love yourself 
is a really tough thing, right? So, and after listening to you talk, it made me think back to 2018. You said you started therapy then. Was that also when you started journaling consistently or was it before then? No, I've been journaling since high school. And yeah, because I'm, I'm also an only child, so I don't have any siblings really to turn to. And so, and I'm an introvert, so I spend a lot of time with myself. And so having a journal to kind of talk to or just express myself, like you said, if you've never been encouraged to express yourself, you do need it to do it. It needs to come out somehow. So for me, that was always in the pages of my journal. However, as I've gotten older and after therapy, the kind of journaling I do is so different and has so much more intention to it. It's, um, I call it like solving a mystery. I sit down with my journal when I know that there's something wrong and I know there's something that needs to be solved here. And I try to find all the evidence and put the pieces together. And it's really fun for me, but it can be overwhelming for someone who's just getting started. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. But so you're saying 21 to 28, you were in this relationship. It was great. It was loving. It doesn't seem like you uh, harbor much regret about it. You, like you look back at it fondly, you know, for what it was. So I'm curious to know, how'd you go from that to 2018, the pandemic hits? And um, if I'm not mistaken, I was watching some of your videos and you talk a little bit about how you kind of fell into this depression and you just didn't really know what to do. And you were in this dark space. So was it the pandemic itself that caused that slip into depression or what was going on then where you went from a loving relationship to I'm alone in this room and I'm depressed? Yeah, um, that's a good, yeah, there's a lot that happens in between those two uh, pieces of my story, but um, the relationship, again, great, but clearly we wanted different things. And that's something that I think is really important to keep in mind when it comes to any kind of relationship. It can be great. You can do, you two can be aligned, you can be really healthy, but you can want different things. You can grow in different directions and both can exist. It doesn't mean that one person has to sacrifice themselves and their growth for the other person. And it's not fair to either person to do that. So it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a bad thing or it's a failure to end something despite it being healthy and happy because you just want different things. And that's what it was. So I realized after living in the UK for a while, that lifestyle, that environment, which just wasn't for me. And I knew that it wasn't fair to either of us to have to sacrifice what we wanted just to keep it going. Because either way, resentment is going to build, right? It's going to grow. So it's going to deteriorate the relationship. So at that point, I realized that, okay, something I have to, I have to leave. I have to come back to my home where my family was, where my friends were, where I felt, you know, more comfortable, more um, seen, understood, you know, and of course the pandemic hit right after that. (laughs) So just when I thought I was kind of going to find my footing again, everything was thrown upside down. That's wild, man. That's why. And home is Toronto for you. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So the pandemic hits, what were you doing? You were still freelancing, I assume, as a copywriter at the time. So, yeah, I mean, when did things actually go wrong? Because it sounds like, just from what I'm hearing, you're an introvert. You already spend most of your time alone. You're working online. So, of course, the pandemic hits and you're forced to stay home more. But what else kind of changed in your world that made everything kind of go to shit, for lack of a better way of saying it? Yeah, well, I mean this was also kind of the beginning of my creative journey as well in the way that we, that I know it today, that's kind of when it started. So when 2020 came along, I decided I wanted to start working on my creative work more. So I started um, gravitating away from copywriting for brands and decided to get a a job working at a clinic for part-time so I can work on my creative work. And then of course, once I got that clinic job, the pandemic hit, it threw everything off. I had to kind of figure out what I was going to do. Uh, took some time to myself. During that time, I feel like uh, 
I, I kind of went through a bit of my spiritual awakening as well. It allowed me a lot of time and space to really f- think about all the things that I had been numbing myself to the last couple of years. Mm. And it all kind of happened at once. And so that was the beginning phase of that growth. And then I went back to that clinic job, which was great. Loved it. It was very overwhelming, though, during a time when there was so much uh, anxiety around health. I already struggle with health anxiety. So it kind of just exacerbated that for me. And so during that time, working consistently, not really seeing people or friends, and just having all that medical anxiety on top of it all, it just kind of sent me into a dark place. It just constantly fight or flight mode in my head. Can for anybody listening, can you explain what you mean by health anxiety? Yeah, I mean, it's gotten better now, but throughout most of my 20s, I was just always anxious that I had something, some sort of disorder, some sort of disease, something that was going to send me, that was going to kill me, basically. And, you know, it's just, I think, from my own experience, a manifestation of just those deep anxieties I had in general and the lack of self-trust. I just always felt that something was out to get me. And for me, it was rooted in medical stuff, stuff that I couldn't control, ultimately. And so when the pandemic hit and I genuinely couldn't control that, it just sent me off the edge. Damn. And you said this has been like as long as you can remember you've had these anxieties? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, from what I really remember is my early 20s, they kind of really started growing. But had you seen like, I mean, lots of people close to you were getting sick or like dying of things? I mean, it just sprang up out of nowhere. You really, you woke up one day and you were like, shit, I'm afraid I might be terminally ill at some point in the near future it was just random yeah yeah I, I think I don't think it's random necessarily I think it was just the way my anxiety was manifesting itself it tried to latch on to something that would prove to me that I had no control and medical stuff for me means oh no control you can't control whether you get sick with something that's terminal like you said mm. so it kind of was using that as a, a way for me to kind of express those anxieties basically until I started going to therapy and, and working on them that's wild yeah. You mentioned as well, like at some point you had to face kind of those those things that were causing anxiety, the things that you're trying to numb yourself to or from. So I'm curious to know what what do you mean by that? Like what were you doing to numb those anxious feelings and the dark stuff that might be creeping up trying to get your attention? Basically what anyone does, really, right? Shopping a lot, um, eating, drinking, stuff that just kind of takes you away from the stuff you really need to focus on and you know you need to focus on it and so you turn your attention to something else something that provides that dopamine something that provides an escape in some way so that you don't have to see that stuff yeah yeah man that's a tough one though that's a tough one though health thing i don't know if i've ever heard that before health thing yeah. you know and you talk uh you talk a lot about your your let's call it issues with anxiety in your videos and stuff like that and uh, you also talk about attachment styles which is something mm-hmm. i find very fascinating. I think that once you get exposed to attachment styles, relationships in general just start to make so much more sense from your relationship with your parents to your siblings, your friends, your partners. It's just like, ah, that's why they behave like that. And you start to recognize these patterns in people. And although, you know, obviously there's nothing you can do to change your style or somebody else's, you can at least understand yourself a little bit better and try to develop a healthier attachment to everyone and everything around you and also you get a better sense of like which partners are just not for you Mm -hmm. you you end up saving yourself like a lot of time and frustration but i want to know like how did you come across this theory of attachment style and like once you became aware of it how did it benefit you 
Yeah. Uh, actually, I also came across attachment styles during the pandemic, right? When we were all just kind of indoors all the time and looking up things online. And I'm just a naturally curious person. And so when I noticed myself having certain tendencies through, you know, through therapy as well, realizing that there are certain tendencies I had towards relationships with people and with men, I date men, but I realized like it wasn't, it's not that it's a man versus woman thing. It's like, there's something deeper that's going on in both sides. Right. And so when I started looking into that more and more, I came across attachment styles online first. And then the more I went into that and I explored it a bit more and tried to figure out why, why I act the way I act and what that stems from and realizing like, oh yeah, the way you attach to your parents is the way you attach to people in the future, which makes sense because you're looking for that parental figure forever to feel safe, to feel secure. And if you are in an insecure place with the way you attach to people, because you don't feel secure in yourself, you don't trust yourself, you don't feel worthy on your own, then yeah, you're going to attach to people who mimic those patterns and behaviors that you know and are familiar with, with your parents. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, it's kind of fucked up when you stop and think about it, that a lot of us can go our whole lives sometimes and not even realize how deeply this is affecting all of our relationships. And for anybody listening, the basic theory is there's four attachment styles. Correct me if I'm wrong. There's like anxious, preoccupied, which is the type of person that is seen as maybe a little more emotionally needy. You know, they need affirmation. Everything's going to be okay. I'm not going to leave you. They're very afraid of being abandoned and things like that. The avoidant types are much more like they never show emotion because that's a sign of weakness. They were taught from a very young age, you'll be punished if you express your need for emotion and affection and attention and stuff like that. Then you have the fearful avoidant, which is kind of like the worst of both worlds. They're 50% super anxious and afraid of being abandoned, but also don't want to be vulnerable with somebody because they think that's going to run them away. So they're just like always with one foot on the gas and one foot on the brakes in every relationship. And then the secure attachment is like, I don't know if I should say raised right, but they were raised in a very loving, caring environment with, you know, both of their parents. They showed them that they were safe. They're free to express themselves. They'll always be able to come back home, that kind of thing. And uh, if I remember correctly, you are a fearful avoidant attachment style. And if, if I remember that correctly, typically that stems from like when you're a child, your parents are very emotionally inconsistent. Like you don't know what to expect when you're talking to them, sometimes positive, sometimes it's negative. You don't know if you're safe. You don't know if this is an enemy. Like you're just so confused. And then that translates into all your relationships later on. So obviously I don't want to get too deep into your personal life, but I'm just curious to know what your relationship was with your parents and how you think that ended up creating that fearful avoidant attachment style that you have. Yeah. Yeah. Emotionally inconsistent is right. You know, it's when people just don't know how to communicate their own needs properly. And so if they can't communicate it, of course, the kids aren't going to know how to communicate it. So they're not going to know even how to understand the parents' needs if the parent doesn't even know how to communicate it properly. So the way I describe the feeling of being a fearful avoidant is that you're constantly walking on eggshells around people because you're not quite sure what's going to happen. And you're always trying to predict things. You're always trying. And that's where the pulling away happens, right? You think, okay, they're going to freak out. They're not going to like me. I might as well just leave. I might as well just pull away. But you do want connection because we all do. And so that's the anxiousness comes in, right? You attach to people, but then you also fear that they're going to abandon you. So you pull away anyway. And it's like that back and forth. You're constantly oscillating between both sides and it's exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. So how did you find yourself in such a, maybe how isn't the best question, but you still ended up finding yourself in a very solid, like loving, positive relationship. But I imagine it had to cause problems at some point. I mean, 
It had to, right? Yeah, <laughs> it did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I learned about attachment styles and I realized that I was a fearful avoidant, everything made sense within that relationship and how it started off because of how nervous and uncomfortable I was as it was starting, right? When we get to that vulnerable part of the relationship, when you start getting more intimate with somebody, that's mm. where you find someone who has fearful avoidant attachment freak out because this is unsafe, you know? So I look back now and I go, yeah, I was doing a lot of stuff to push this person away because I felt unsafe. I felt like I was going to be abandoned no matter what. Um, and the thing that I think helped maintain that relationship was that he was very stable. He was very secure. He was very consistent. And consistency is so foreign to a fearful avoidant. And when you have that, and that person gives you space to kind of feel okay and gives you time, it kind of lets you as a person kind of start to flourish and not be operating from the place of that fear. Yeah. and But then when the relationship ends, and you're kind of back on your own. Did you feel some sense like maybe something was missing and that you were insecure at that point now that this this pillar of security had kind of left your life? Um, not so much because I think fearful avoidance are good at being uh, on their own. Like that avoidance can come in and, and you kind of feel safer alone at times. You feel like, okay, no one's going to hurt me. I'm not going to, I'm not going to feel pain anymore, even though, you know, falling in love is about risking that pain. You, you have to, right. In order to feel the pleasure of it. Um, but so it's easier to kind of be alone at times. It's safer. So it, it feels okay. Uh, what I did notice though, is after when I started re-engaging with people, and I started realizing that the way they behaved when it wasn't secure on their end, it triggered something in me mm. and made me act in really bizarre ways that I'd never experienced before. That's when I realized like, okay, something's off here. Like there's something going on within me that doesn't make sense because it wasn't happening in this relationship. So what's, what's going on? And then that's how I kind of dive into attachment style and realized what, uh, what triggers of mine were being pushed on. So can you think of like an example of some weird thing that people would do to kind of trigger those feelings of insecurity in you? Yeah. I mean, anytime anyone's not consistent, anytime someone acts one way for a little bit and then changes the way they behave, that sends off alarm bells because you're like, oh, something's off here. Right. And fearful avoidance are very, they're trying to predict everything, right. To stay safe. So if you're doing one thing at one point and then you switch up, it's like, we don't even know who you are as a person. We can't trust you now. And a lot of that also comes down to the fact that we don't trust ourselves to respond appropriately in moments. So we decide to just pull away and avoid having to risk any sort of, you know, pain or hurt or anything like that. Mm. Yeah, it makes sense. So you've been, it's uh, 2023 now, so the past five years, you've been kind of on this, uh, like a new path. Maybe it sounds like not reinventing yourself, but maybe we could call it developing more of just your natural self and you find yourself like in a new career you're taking your creative work more seriously you released a book it's uh give me the title again something with tangerine if i'm not mistaken yeah yeah so, ripe tangerines yeah ripe, it's a collection of short fiction yeah so how did that come about and i mean in, in this day what inspired you to write a fiction book like that yeah, I mean, so a lot of the last couple of years, you said the five years, which is crazy that it's been five years since 2018. <laughs> but um, a lot of that time was spent me shedding all the, the layers and identities that I had, right? It's shedding all the stuff that I thought I was and uncovering who I actually am deep down, right? So I spent a lot of that time exploring my creativity. I've always been creative. I've always liked writing. And for a long time, I kind of leaned towards fiction writing because fiction sometimes feels safer than being vulnerable in doing nonfiction work, right? So I released Ripe Tangerines in 2020. 
And I'd been working on the stories in that for a couple of years. So I compiled them and decided to just do that. Um, But it was only in 2021 when I allowed myself to explore um, an area of creativity that I never thought I could explore or I never thought was uh, something that I'd be good at, which was doing public speaking like this or being open and vulnerable with my, my specific story for people who I feel are just like me. I was using like fiction work as a way to do that in a, like in a roundabout way, in a way of not being super vulnerable and super authentic. And so part of my journey of authenticity has been allowing myself to just let go and talk in a way that feels truly vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, so when did you, I'm curious, when did you start posting uh, videos on TikTok? Do you remember what year that was? Last year, January, wow. well, December of 2021. So beginning of 2022. Okay. Yeah. And I think, uh, like I told you in the message, a lot of stuff you say, I just completely identify with and clearly hundreds of thousands of other people across TikTok feel the same way, man. And it's, it's really just what you said. You don't necessarily, for anybody listening that maybe wants to get into producing content or just telling what they know or sharing their stories, you don't even have to give all the like dirty details of every single thing that happened in your life. You're just speaking about, you know, what you've been through and really more what you've learned from it and how you're using it to just live a better life. And it just seems like a lot of people, young and old, really gravitate towards those kinds of messages these days because I don't know what you experience on your feeds, but there's a lot of noise in the feeds and very little signal. So when somebody comes across just like sharing something that's authentic, I think naturally people gravitate towards it because a lot of us think that we're alone in the things that we're feeling or the things that we're experiencing or the things that we've gone through. And you could just be scrolling on your feed and this random person 3,000 miles away is like, no, bro, I get you. Trust me, I've been there and I've done that and I can show you a path forward. And it seems like that's exactly what you're doing through your TikTok and you have a podcast. Nobody's doing it right as well. And um, mm-hmm. so what compelled you to start posting these videos? Because you could just keep writing fiction books. You could do stuff on a local level, but you said, no, I'm going to speak to the world at this point. So what inspired you to do that? Yeah. Yeah. Again, it comes down to my, my fear of being seen and I didn't feel like I was worthy of being seen or heard, you know, again, attachment style, all that stuff kind of leads to that. But, um, I kind of just let go of those fears and the expectations and decided, you know what, I'm just going to like post content online and the best case scenario, I get some eyes on the work that I'm doing on my writing. I get some eyes on it. And I remember my first video I posted was about how, um, 30 is not old. And it was just something that I'd been thinking about because I had just turned 30. Mm-hmm. And I posted that and it resonated and it kind of took off and went a little bit viral. And I realized like, oh, this is the calling that I've always been suppressing within myself is to talk to people and to share my perspective on things. Because like you said, we're not alone. Like there's people that understand us. And it's something that even in my own journey, I had to kind of understand as well that I'm not alone people are out there that are just like me or are similar to me even though at times it feels like we're alone Mm. and yeah since then I kind of realized like my mission is to just make people feel seen in the ways that I never felt seen and doing that through I guess a means that I never thought was something I'd be good at which is speaking which is ironic now because I feel like I'm pretty good at it and I'd been just holding myself back for so long isn't that interesting though how like a lot of times the stuff that you're really supposed to be doing is not like anything close to what you imagined years ago. You maybe had this whole life plan and these visions and these dreams. And then, you know, 
six, seven years later, you're doing it and you're like, oh, damn, this just comes naturally. I don't even really have to like, I don't need instructions for this. I don't need to take a course to learn how to do it. I just do it. It just comes naturally. And it seems like speaking for you seems to be that writing as well. Just um, putting out content that, like you said, is meant to maybe not inspire people, but show them that not only are you not alone, but there's a way out of the place that you're currently in. You know what I mean? It's going to be okay. It's going to take some work. It's going to take some time but you will get there. And you mentioned that a lot in your videos too. I was watching some last night about how in your relationships, your romantic relationship, but also your friendships and family, you didn't really feel seen. Like when you ended your romantic relationship, you look back and you're like, did that person really know who I was? Did they truly understand who I was? And then I watched another video where you said like the right person for you, the perfect person for you won't even just understand who you are. They won't just get you like relationships take work and you have to communicate and like actively try to get to know each other and stuff like that. But I just wanted to go a little bit deeper into what you mean by like not being seen first of all. And then what's the importance of being seen and truly understood in a relationship to you? Yeah. I mean, I feel like for most of my life, I was very much a black sheep in my family. And Mm. because of that, I just never felt understood by the people around me and they didn't quite get the way I was. And so for most of my life, then I feel, I felt unseen. I felt like no one's really seen past this mask, this facade. Right. And because of that, I felt like I had to keep putting on more layers of masks. And then after a while, I couldn't even see myself. So when you can't even see yourself, how are you going to express yourself and show yourself to somebody else? So of course, if you're in a relationship and you're not seeing yourself, that person's not going to see you either because you're not showing yourself. You don't even know how to show who you are to them. And so that then, yeah, that then leads to these relationships that are are kind of based on a rocky foundation to begin with. It's tough though, right? Because, you know, I'm not sure what you think, but I've thought about this a lot recently, which is the idea of who you even are. And I'm curious to know where that idea even comes from. Because I was watching this video couple months ago and this guy was talking about our idea of identity and he was saying that these days in the modern era a lot of us are so confused and so obsessed with who am i and be your true self and show the world who you are and he's like it's kind of like a dumb thing to think about because it's almost a question that's impossible to answer definitively like you're always changing you're always evolving some days you're like this some days you're like that in this environment you're like this and in this environment you're like that but when you go out into nature our natural habitat and you're looking at the trees and the animals or maybe the ocean, you're not sitting there wondering, what is this or who am I? You're just looking at yourself. You don't have to ask any questions. You're just in alignment, Mm -hmm. you're in harmony, you're at home. And so he thinks that when we moved into cities and buildings and offices and doing jobs and having to present ourselves in a socially acceptable way, that's when the idea of I need an identity and I need to be this person kind of arose. And I just, I don't know, ever since I saw that video, I never stopped thinking about it because when I think about expressing my true self and showing people who I am, it's tricky, you know, especially if you are like trying to make a career online and your reputation is everything. There's just certain things you might not want to share, certain things you might not want to do, even though you still see those things as part of yourself, you know? So it's like, I guess what I'm trying to hear from you is What is the importance of being truly seen by others when you may never truly see your entire self until the day you die, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the importance of being seen is purely so that you are able to at least try and live the life that you want to live, right? It's, it's that vulnerability 
of asking for what you want. And you can't ask for what you want if you don't even know yourself. So to then know yourself at at least a little bit, or at least know yourself in this moment, because like you said, you are constantly changing. We're always in flux. To then know yourself in that moment and then share it with somebody, you're basically asking them, hey, this is who I am. And this is the kind of person I am. These are the desires I have. Are you able to give this to me? Mm. Right. And, and that's the only way you can kind of live in alignment. You have to ask, you have to be vulnerable, but you can't be vulnerable when you're, like you said, behind masks, behind identities. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. But I think I'm constantly thinking about who's listening. And Mm. I think I told you before, there's a lot of millennials like you and me listening to this right now. Even I guess Gen Z is after us, right? So I'm sure some of them are listening. Mm -hmm. And the idea of vulnerability is a tough one because- You know, especially when you grow, you don't even know what life was like before the internet and before social media, you're growing up with this. And it seems like a lot of young kids feel the need to just be posting online and like even some of the most intimate moments of their lives. I need to be posting this and getting validation and comments and engagement to validate like my existence as a person. I'm normal, I'm acceptable, I'm popular, et cetera. So like being vulnerable and being like, you know what? Life is fucked up right now. My parents are toxic. I can't talk to them. I have no friends. I have no skills. I don't know what to do. That doesn't get likes and views on the internet. It makes you look like a loser on the internet, you know? And then even in a relationship, it seems like uh, a lot of us are just falling out of love with the idea of a committed relationship with finding a partner, starting a family and all that. And it's much more like, I'm just going to live my best life. That creates a lot of walls around us and we kind of reject any possibility of healthy, fruitful, beneficial relationships. So did you ever, I mean, I know you struggle with vulnerability, but how do you see that? What's your relationship in relation to those things that I just mentioned, if that makes any sense? How do you see that? I mean, I think one thing to be clear on is, you know, oversharing is not the same as being vulnerable because you could say some of the most like vulnerable things to one person and they might not at all be vulnerable for you. It might just be another Tuesday that you're mentioning this thing. It's nothing for you. So it doesn't mean you're being vulnerable. And I think sometimes that can be conflated even in relationships where you think I'm saying all these things, I'm opening, I'm talking about this stuff and you know, I'm still not feeling that connection. I'm still not feeling that intimacy. It's like maybe because it's not vulnerable for you to talk about those things. Right. And the vulnerability is really where, where it hurts, right. It's where that wound is. That's where the vulnerability is. And of course, it makes sense to not want to share that stuff, of course, because it's it's painful. It's hurtful. People can use it against you. But it, again, it comes back to the idea of self-trust, of knowing that I can be both my vulnerable self and also trust myself to set boundaries when I know that somebody is trying to step over a line and use that against me or, you know, or is, is speaking in a way that makes me feel more uncomfortable or doesn't value my vulnerability that's also really important. And I think that's that's the key to being able to be vulnerable without feeling that that kind of that discomfort of being kind of used, like you said, for social media and for attention and validation. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So how did you get into the the coaching and like becoming something like a almost like a spiritual guide for uh, young people around the world who are just kind of feeling lost and want to figure things out for themselves. I mean, how did that come about? Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of identify more as a guide. Yeah. As a self-awareness guide, because I am exactly, I've been where these people have been. Right. So I, I know exactly what they're going through and how they've gone through it. And 
I think me sharing my story online and posting all those videos were, were kind of like calling cards to people who connected with exactly what I was saying. So after a while, after posting those videos, people were reaching out to me, asking me to have one-on-one calls. I didn't have to even start that, right? So that's kind of how, it's so interesting how things just align that way. You know, you, you put yourself out there, you do the vulnerable thing and you get met with vulnerability and you get met with all these opportunities that you never could have experienced or expected before. Mm. So yeah, once I started being asked to do these calls and I started doing them and I started enjoying them, realizing like, okay, here's, there's something here. There's, there's some sort of value and purpose that I have here that people like they need this from me clearly people are asking me for it so i i decided to lean into that more and really hone my my skills of communication and really um be more mindful of what i was saying how i was saying it and the things that i was learning and approaching them from the perspective of okay this is what i learned how can this help and benefit somebody else as well ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So it really was just like an organic thing. I mean, people, mm-hmm. you got you got asked to start this new career pretty much. It wasn't something that was ever planned. So when, but you started putting out the videos, what exactly was your intention before the one-to-one thing started? Was it just to let people know that they were seen and understood? I mean, you had no financial intentions or career intentions. You just wanted those videos? Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, right before that, I was just like, I'm going to let go because for so long in my life, I was, I've been trying to force things. Right. And anytime you force something, you force it enough, it breaks. So I decided at some point in my life, I'm going to stop forcing. I'm going to let things flow organically. I'm going to lean into what feels authentic for me and just what feels right in this moment. Right. Again, coming back to the present moment and what felt right for some odd reason in that present moment was to start posting TikTok videos. Mm. Before that, I'd never posted. I'd only watched TikTok and I enjoyed the fact there was, there were so many communities on TikTok and so much conversation going on. For some reason, I just felt called to speaking, to speak on TikTok. And so I did it. And I allowed myself to just lean into that and not have the pressure of, okay, what am I going to do with this? What's the point of this? What am I going to get from this? What monetary gain can I get from I let go of all that because that was so much of like pre-pandemic thinking for me because that's all we were talking about. We're all lost in the sauce of of capitalism and and trying to always do more and be better. And, and it's like, no, I'm going to let go of that for a bit and see what happens. Let myself kind of really fall into the the depths of this water and see what is on the other side when I emerge. Yeah. Yeah, that's another thing I wanted to talk to you about because one of the videos I watched recently that you made, you were saying how... I think it was the one you're talking about turning 30 and you you were kind of looking back 
at your 20s about the things you've been through and the things you learned and you're like holy shit I'm 30 years old and you you know approaching that age it feels old as fuck you're like no my 20s are almost over I need to grow up now I need to have this done and this established and all these things you're just have so many expectations for yourself and you don't even realize a lot of those were put on you either by your parents or society the culture you grew up in you know and um, a lot of us feel the need to feed what some people know as the capitalist machine so we end up going down these paths and accepting these jobs and you know developing these careers and shit we don't even care about like we don't have any passion or interest in it whatsoever and it sounds like you got to the point where you were like you know what i still have a lot of living to do man and although 20 to 30 didn't go exactly the way I wanted it to. Like there's still like 30 to 70, 80, 90. There's so yeah. much I still do now backed by the experience that I gained from all those mistakes and situations that I lived through. But when you say that like these pressures were put on you by external forces and that you still have time and you shouldn't worry too much about it. Do you think that's all rooted in the capitalist agenda to just pull every single penny that they can out of us or do you think maybe there are other factors at play here no i think yeah i think you nailed it um i think we are just so driven by the fact that we have to be valuable constantly and that our purpose is in only what we can provide other people that we lose ourselves in that process and we are forcing things to happen and of course like in our system we need money we need to find ways to make money that's how we survive so it makes sense but yeah, like you said, people will go down paths or do things that are so unaligned for them, that are so not who they are or aligned with their values or their morals, simply because they think that that's what they have to do to be valued in this system, to be seen as like worthy or important. And you see people taking on these titles and these jobs, which are great. Sure, that's amazing that you were able to do that and you did all this schooling. Amazing. But if you don't actually want it, what's the point? You know, what is the point of it if it's not genuinely enjoyable for you and it's only for how people see you and, and getting that validation and approval? And once you kind of realize that that's what so many people are doing, things shift in the way you start approaching your life too, I think, at least. Yeah. So for you, I mean, other than the the realization that you can still do a lot with the time left that you have... What other shifts did you make in terms of the way you approach life in general once you came to that realization? Yeah, I mean, even for like when the pandemic started, I was 28 and coming out of it, I was 30. So you you lose a bit of time already. And then also looking back and thinking that, oh, your 20s are the years that you're supposed to have everything sorted out. It's And then you hit 30 and you're like, wait a minute. I was barely even cognitively functioning <laughs> throughout most of my 20s, right? right? And so to think that everything should be sorted by 30 and then to have it all done for the rest of your life is kind of crazy. Yeah. If you think about it, like it is a myth. It is something that's just being fed to us so that we settle down or not, not settle down. Like there's anything wrong with families, but settle down in the sense of not trying to do more things, not trying to, you know, question things or challenge the status quo. Yeah. We're kind of told that by 30, you know, you gotta, you gotta get it together. But 30 is truly when you really start understanding things for what they are that's when your brain really starts functioning i think 100 percent. I, I whenever i talk to somebody who's younger than me i try to get them to understand i feel it's so ironic how your parents tell you things when you're young and you're like yeah whatever then you get their age and you're saying the same fucking things to your nephews and young people and it's exactly that man like 18 to 28 i've heard people even call it the dumb decade because you just make so many fucking 
stupid decisions for yourself and you just go down these dead end roads and, and it's just nonsense for a lot of us, not for everybody. But when you get closer to 30, you realize like, oh, this was just like, I'm just, just experimenting here. There, first of all, there are no rules. Yeah. I can do whatever I want. Once you realize that shit is really interesting, that once you realize like, yeah, this is the predetermined path that people expect me to go down, but with a little bit of creativity and a lot of work, I can just kind of forge my own path over here slowly and quietly and live a fucking great life, man. That's one realization I had to come to in the past couple of years. There were so many things I wanted just because other people wanted them. It was never something that I wanted for myself or that I actually need to attain my idea of happiness, whether it's a certain dollar amount every month in your bank account that you're making or doing a certain job or being perceived a certain way. It's like, I, don't, I don't care about any of that shit, man. It's yeah. like, do whatever I want. And the only person that has to be okay with it is me. So I think that's something that I realized as I was projecting a lot of my insecurities outward and then trying to do things to validate mm-hmm. me as a person instead of just like dealing with the shit inside me like, nah, what do I really want? And why am I afraid to go after that? And you realize once you start like breaking these self-limiting beliefs, the sky really is the fucking limit, man. Like you can double yeah. your revenue. You can make new friends. You can start a podcast and just DM people and be like, hey, you want to chat? <laughs> Whatever the fuck you want. So I always tell young people, man, you have so much more time than you think you do. And the quicker you stop judging yourself for the decisions that you make, the quicker you can get on to just gaining more experience because each one just prepares you for the next one. It just never stops, man. It's like a marathon, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think even the mistakes you make in your 20s are important. Like you needed to make those. You needed to do that stupid stuff to get to where you are now, to have this knowledge and information so that you can start making the right decisions with your more, you know, your better functioning brain as you get older. And I think also a lot of people are just projecting their own self-limiting beliefs onto you when they say you can't do this, you shouldn't do this. That's, that's you. That's your story. That doesn't have to be my story. And, you know, 10 years ago, would I have thought that I'd be on a platform like TikTok sharing videos of me talking and then getting work from that? No, that would have been unheard of. But again, you never know what's going to happen. Yes. I mean, same thing for me. I I never uh, imagined I'd be posting videos on TikTok or doing what we're doing right now. It was one of my students that was like, man, you need to get on TikTok. And I thought it was just for like kids dancing at the time. Mm-hmm. Not about to make no fucking dance videos, bro. You crazy. <laughs> And then I posted just a few and kind of like you, maybe the sixth or seventh video gets like 300,000 views. And you're like, now I see what you said this. And then if you're just consistent, it just grows and grows because the way the algorithm works, it could literally change the trajectory of your life in less than six months. If you take Mm -hmm. it seriously, you know, it's, it's amazing, man. And so you, you did the videos first. What caused you to start the podcast? I actually had the podcast um, since 2020 but it was more focused on creative writing. And I was kind of just focusing on that thing, but I, I wasn't taking it very seriously. I wasn't very consistent with it. It was only after the video started taking off that I realized like, okay, I have another platform that I can use to really communicate in, in long form yeah. with people. And then that's how I became more consistent with that. I see. So what are your goals there? And I mean, long-term, what do you envision yourself doing with the podcast? I'm actually not sure. The podcast was not really something I expected to continue doing. And some that I expected to enjoy for as much as as much as I have been enjoying it. So I'm not sure. I have no idea where I'm going to take it. But again, I'm going to let it flow as it needs to. I'm not going to put pressure right. <laughs> and turn it into something. But who knows? What's your relationship to social media in general, though? Because I imagine doing what you do and mm-hmm. speaking to people you're speaking, 
I gotta imagine you're coming across at least a few characters who are maybe not totally there mentally and maybe don't respect the mm-hmm. uh, boundaries that you might put up and that kind of thing. So, I mean, what's your relationship to social media and how do you kind of manage or even select who you're working with and who you're not working with? I imagine it gets hectic at times. Yeah, I mean, the good thing is that with most, if not all of my clients, they've been people that are very similar to me. They're people that want to change. They're, they want to put the effort in. They're, they're trying to do the work. So it, they come with a, an intention that aligns with what I'm trying to do. Um, but when it comes to social media, like Instagram, I do get a few characters on there. I do get a few DMs that are sometimes, you know, trauma dumping in my in my DMs, asking for help. And it's it can be overwhelming after a while. And also people who have this kind of parasocial relationship with me, I find, which is so strange to say. Uh, it's so weird to think of that. People who think because they see me on their screen, they think that we know each other. When in reality, I, I don't know you. You just you only know me. So they, they have this connection to me that I that is not mutual, right? And while I try to be there for everyone as much as I can and, and, and be a, like a supportive figure online, sometimes people see me as more than that to them. And that can get a bit intense. Yeah, yeah that's problematic, man. It's, I think, uh, a lot of people who have reached some level of notoriety or for like, I don't like this word, but fame online, mm. especially on TikTok, because it happens so quickly sometimes. Mm. You kind of start to understand why famous people in general don't really interact with their fans, you know, only to a certain yeah. extent, because it's just too much, bro. It's so many different characters. And like you just said, I'd never heard the term parasocial relationship, but it's that exactly. It's just people see you so much that they assume you guys are friends. They assume mm-hmm. that you guys really know each other when not only do you, I not know you, but you only know this one dimension of me that you see on the screen. Yeah. And just because I'm pleasant and kind mm-hmm. positive on the screen doesn't mean you can just come at me any kind of way bro so it's exactly. it really is challenging because then people who you genuinely want to reach and who genuinely love you and what you do i don't know if you've experienced this but i definitely have where you end up like probably leaving a bad impression on them and hurting them in some kind of way because they had these grand expectations and you're like, hold on, motherfucker, I don't really know you like that let's let's bring it down a notch and then they feel like offended you know what i mean so that's always something I found uh, challenging is even wanting to be engaged and involved, but then just kind of realizing like, oh, this uh, this isn't sustainable. <laughs> you know, this, there's a reason that we don't maintain this many relationships in real life because you just you just can't do it. You know, so yeah. social is always yeah, exactly. And, and like you said, they only inter- know a fraction of who you are. Yeah. Yeah. I, one thing though with TikTok is that it has helped me develop a thicker skin, which has been really good for me as somebody who uh, is a people was a people pleaser for most of my life and feeling scared to like disappoint anyone. Um, and getting comments that are sometimes aggressive or sometimes mean, it's kind of like helped me build up a little bit of that tolerance and being able to stand by what I believe and what I'm saying. So it, it's been beneficial in that way. Yeah. Even still though, the people pleasing thing is a big one. That's, um, mm-hmm. I imagine for a lot of people, the people, I know that I used to definitely be a people pleaser. And I think when I reflect on it, a lot of it was just because of kind of similar to your situation. I grew up in an environment where people were like emotionally inconsistent. And my reaction to that was like, I need to do whatever's necessary to keep the peace. I need to do whatever's necessary to make sure I don't like set off any fireworks, say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing. And it's really detrimental especially when you're growing and developing and you get just in the behavioral pattern of doing whatever you think is going to please everyone around you 
because you slowly but surely just erode the relationship that you're supposed to have with yourself. Mm-hmm. And then you end up hating yourself and like judging yourself. You have no trust in yourself. So for you specifically, I know that uh, therapy was probably a big part of that. I'm sure just talking about your experiences and like learning how to set boundaries is a part of that. But how do you, I mean, how do you even begin that process? Because somebody who has spent their whole life pleasing people, let me, let me rephrase the question. Me specifically, I've always had a hard time finding like moderation in everything I do. I'm kind of like zero or a hundred with pretty much everything. Mm -hmm behavior, the way I treat people and stuff like that. So my problem when I when I was trying to learn to stop people pleasing was I only knew be 100% people pleaser and just avoid conflict, avoid confrontation, or go straight to 100. Fuck you. Let's go. What do you want to do? That's not a healthy way to be dealing with people, uh, especially as a man, because like, then it's okay for everybody to hit me. So you can very, mm-hmm. very quickly get into physical altercations and shit like that. Yeah. Just because you don't know how to express yourself assertively yet respectfully, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I kind of learned to find the line between the two. I'm still learning to this day. So what is it like for you? I mean, did you experience the same kind of like polarity in your behavior? Or, I mean, how did you go from being a people pleaser to learning how to set those boundaries? Yeah, no, I, I'm the same way where I'm zero to a hundred. I'm all or nothing, you know, in or out. Like <laughs> I've gotten better now, obviously having that middle ground. But when it came to people pleasing, it, you know, it is, you know, it's easy for me to say, like, you just have to do it, but it, you have to take those slow steps and start setting the boundaries or saying no when you need to say no. And it, it's just a gradual process. So you have to start small. You have to start with small things that are don't have as high stakes. It's just to give yourself proof that you can do it. So it's like, if you're someone who can never say no to someone who needs help, find uh, a request from somebody that's so, so small that you can say no. And while, yeah, it'll feel uncomfortable. It's not that big of a deal. The more you practice in those small ways, the next time someone asks you for something huge and it's just not right for you, you can say no and not really care as much because also what really helped me is to realize that when you think that you have to people please people all the time, what you're doing is infantilizing them. You're saying, you're, you're saying that they're not capable of taking care of themselves. They're not capable of living life without you people pleasing and coddling them. And that's kind of disrespectful to them, you know? And, and when I started seeing it that way, where I'm like, this person can handle, why, why do I feel like I have to be the one that holds their hand through everything? It gave me a new perspective on how I relate to people because I want to be treated with that level of respect too. I don't want people to see me as incapable, as unable to do things, but the more you people please, the more you then see yourself as incapable. You know, you're kind of fostering that energy. And when you make that shift, when you realize like everyone is, everyone's capable you know, and yeah, they can need support. They can ask you for help in certain ways, but if it goes beyond your your boundaries and what you are able to do in that moment, then it's not worth it. Agreed. That's a really interesting way of looking at it. Uh, infantilizing people. I've never heard that before, but it makes a hundred percent sense. I think I always kind of looked at it like at the end of the day, and it's probably saying the same thing. You're just not responsible for other people's feelings i mean you can like care about them you can not want to hurt yeah. people but at the end of the day you're doing a disservice to everyone when you choose somebody else over yourself because one they don't even necessarily want that because they automatically people lose respect for you people know mm-hmm. when you're pleasing and a lot of people even take advantage of it but they certainly don't respect you for it so then you're not getting respect from them even though that's exactly what you want 
you're not getting respect from yourself because you know you don't want to be doing what you're doing. And then that just kind of turns into resentment and you start mm-hmm. laughing out at unexpected and like these weird, really dark ways. And then you end up confusing people even more. They're like, what the, the fuck? This person who's always this way out of nowhere just decides to let out all the shit they've been holding in unprompted. And uh, it just fucks up all your relationships because then you look even crazier. And then nobody wants to be yeah. around you. It's just like, you're this fucking weird dude who's like sometimes nice and then he snaps sometimes. Like people mm-hmm. don't really know what to expect from you. And then that perception just feeds the negative feedback loop. And you're like, nobody likes me. Nobody wants to be around me. I'm not enough and blah, blah, blah. So it's really dark, man. People pleasing is a slippery slope. And I think for me, I just had to kind of learn like, you know, you feel the way you feel, bro, but I have to protect myself first because if I mm-hmm. don't, who the fuck is going to do it? Nobody's going to exactly. do it. Exactly. As an adult, I think kind of going back to what you said about attachment styles, it's like at some point you really have to stop looking for mommy and daddy and other people and realize you are mommy and daddy for you mm-hmm. the rest of your life. You're not going to find that in your partner or your friends or nobody else. You have to treat yourself like somebody responsible for helping. Jordan Peterson talks about that a lot. And I do kind of look at myself as a second person that I'm like a little me that I'm actually taking care of now. And I'm analyzing my behavior and my my thought process. I'm like, nah, that's nonsense. You don't need to do this. You know that doesn't align with your goals and you really have to self-correct in real time. So I know I keep asking you, how do you do this? How do you do that? And I know the answer, you just do it. But I'm just thinking about mm-hmm. people listening who maybe just need to hear it one more time because I know for me, even once I realized what the problem was, I had to hear certain people say it two or three times in different ways before it really clicked. And I'm like, okay, at this point, I have no excuses. I just need to like get my shit together. You know what I mean? I'm sure you experienced something similar. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you use the example of like a little version of you because that is inner child work, right? It's treating yourself the way you wish you would have been treated when you were a child. It's reparenting yourself and being, like you said, that mother, father figure. And the way I like to see it actually is like being in a car, you know, for the way I kind of perceive it is for most of my life in my twenties, my inner child was at the wheel. And when your inner child's at the wheel, it's chaotic. It doesn't, they don't know how to drive. They don't know what to look out for. They don't know how to handle heavy machinery. They're not supposed to, they're not responsible for that. And so you now have to become the person that takes the wheel and lets that inner child know that they're safe in the back seat. They can do whatever they want. They can have the fun. They can play because we still need to have that playfulness within us. But if you're constantly in fight or flight, if you're constantly in the driver's seat as a child, you you can't then also have that fun and lightness in your life because you're always like fighting to survive, basically. And so when I realized like I have to be that driver, I have to do the things that are un- like annoying, uncomfortable, responsible. I have to do all that stuff. And, you know, that applies to every aspect of your life, whether that's like your health, your finances, your whatever, relationships, boundaries, all that stuff. You have to do that. And it's annoying. It's, it doesn't feel good. <laughs> it's really annoying to have to take that responsibility. And you would rather be the child playing. But in order for them to feel safe enough to be able to do that and enjoy life, you have to also do that responsible stuff and take care of yourself and show yourself that you respect yourself enough to do that. Right. 100%. How do you um, how do you approach or not approach, but like when it comes to making friends, developing platonic relationships or networking in general, what's your approach to that? Seeing as you're an introvert, you're used to spending most of your time alone. We're all working and living at home most of our lives these days. So how do you approach that? Because and the reason I ask is because uh, I think having a network is important. I think having like minded individuals around you to inspire you is super important because I remember a time when 
the five people I spent the most time with felt like I had nothing in common with. They were kind of toxic. I didn't really respect them or like them too much. And it was years before I realized how much that was affecting me and my behavior and the things I think about and the places my mind goes and how that affects the rest of my life. And I just had to realize like, yo, I need some fucking better friends. I need to like, even if I need to be alone first, just I'm always been good alone. But if I just get comfortable being alone, even with all the stuff that makes me uncomfortable about myself, that's step one. Get Mm -hmm. comfortable with that stuff. Then I need to like really reach out and find other people who are at least trying to go in the same direction because it really makes a difference on those days when you stumble, somebody's there to kind of like lift you up. You can put your arm around their shoulder and just keep moving forward. So with that being said, how do you approach that these days? Yeah. I mean, that, that's actually still a struggle for me because I am someone who feels like uh, I have to be self-reliant all the time. And it's something that I, it's one of my core wounds, right? So I still work through that. Yeah. Um, but you're right about the the process of first detaching from the people that aren't right for you yeah. and being alone, deciding I'd rather be alone than be with these people because these people make me feel alone. You know, I still feel alone even when I'm around them. Yeah. And so when you, I think when you start like aligning in a way that feels more right for you and you start doing things and acting in ways and sticking to your morals, your values, those people that are not right for you, kind of, you kind of drift away from them. So almost like the universe kind of naturally course corrects for you. And your job really is to let that go. You have to be able to let them go, even if it kind of hurts your ego and makes you feel like, oh, I'm going to be abandoned. Like nobody wants to be around me. It's like, do you want to be around you? And I'm assuming that if you're around people that you don't like, you don't even want to be around yourself. And that's the relationship you have to focus on right now. And then when you start focusing on that relationship and you get more comfortable, you do start finding people that align with you more. And then the next step, which is maybe the hardest step, is doing the vulnerable thing of reaching out, of saying, hey, I like you and I would like you to be in my life. Do you want to be in my life? And that's scary, even romantically, platonically. But that's like that's the final step, really. And that's the only way you can know for sure if someone can or cannot be in your life in the way that you need them there. Yeah, even just hearing you say those words. I was- yeah. yeah i'm not doing that you know what i mean even though i know you're right it really is i I say it all the time is um you got to make the first move with not just with relationships just anything that you want in life because Mm -hmm. bro it's not coming to you it's just not going to come to i mean there's a very there's maybe like 0.1 percent of people who are lucky enough to be born and they just the shit falls in their lap and they maximize their talents and their opportunities whatever for the rest of us it's not like bro it's just not like that. So, um, yeah, that vulnerability piece, man. Yeah. It's <laughs> a tough one. Even, you know, what's interesting, though, is what I found is when it comes to being vulnerable, making the first move, putting yourself out there, the more you do it, the easier it gets. But for me, even yeah. still, I find myself at times, like, nervous to do it or, like, insecure about it as if I've never done it before. Yeah. So I think another thing that I had to realize is, you might struggle with this off and on for years to come, but as long as you're trying to like get better at it, that's really all you can do. But I think before I used to think that there would become, there would be like a special moment in time where I'd resolve all my issues and mm-hmm. I'd be the ideal version of myself, which is bullshit because you're always going to have problems and things you need to improve and like skills that some days are great and some days they're not. And I think social skills is that for me, learning the line between like oversharing and vulnerability and setting boundaries and being overly aggressive. You know, it's like a real challenge, especially when you um, are trying to figure it out yourself, you know, because I know that you went to therapy, but for a lot of people, even that idea is too much. Right? Like I tried therapy years ago and the first lady 
was tough because she was like the type of person who would speak to you like you were a baby, like, oh my God, that's so sad. And you must be. And I'm like, all right, lady, this like, come on, bro. Yeah. So I couldn't stick with her. So then I found a guy. And as I was telling him my story, at one point he laughed at something I said. Wow. And I was like, oh, nah, bro. I'm going to fucking sit here and empty my fucking life. Get the fuck out of here. There's no way. So since then, I was just like, I'm, I'm good on therapy. I'm going to just figure this shit out myself. But I'm at this point now in my life where it's like, it's probably a good idea to speak to a professional and really get like a different perspective and start to sort some of this shit out because you can only do so much by yourself. So what's your case exactly. that you could give to somebody for like just making the jump and finally finding a professional to speak to if they're, they're scared about it? Yeah. Well, I'm sorry that you experienced that because I know how, yeah, it can be very intense when you have a bad therapist and nice. having a good therapist makes like a world of difference. And I'm luckily my first therapist, the first one I chose, I found, um, was perfect for me. And she knows how to speak to me. She knows how to listen to me. She knows how to tell me what I need to hear in the way that she knows I need to hear it. Um, and she doesn't speak that way to everybody. Obviously it's to me, she caters it to me, which is great. And I think it can be tough when you feel like yeah, therapist is great because they have all the the knowledge, the studying, the 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 theory behind what they do. But if they've never been where you are, it's you can't. They don't get it, you know. And I think that's why so many people come to me as well because they they know they see my videos, they see what I talk about. They're like, okay, she's been there, yeah. she gets it. So I'd like to be that kind of middle ground for people who feel like they don't have a therapist that they can lean on and they don't want to talk to their friends all the time because your friends don't know as much as you need them to know or they can't support you, right? But I think if you're looking for a therapist, it's really important to be clear on what your intention is with the kind of work that you're trying to do. Like, what are you trying to really get clear on? And what are you trying to really change about yourself? Um, because that'll be the guiding light to help you find somebody that aligns with you, right? And, and that's why I make my videos, because I hope people can find something in that video to be like, oh, yeah, that's something I want to bring to my therapist. Or that's something that I didn't realize I need to explore more. Like, let me find a therapist who specifically works on that kind of stuff. And going back to like self-trust and vulnerability, like that kind of work, it's all, they're like muscles. You have to work them out and they can atrophy. And if when they atrophy, you have to build them right back up again. So it is constant. It's constant work. It's constant effort. But the more you do it, the easier an EJ break comes. The more you let it slide though, the, the harder and harder it is to kind of build it back up. Yeah. So yeah, it, it is work and you know, nothing good comes easy, but it can be simple. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely simple, but it's fucking hard. Yeah. But you get a lot of hate online too because I'm I'm just sitting here trying to put myself in your shoes thinking about what you're trying to achieve and the way you're trying to achieve it and by being exposed to so many people on a daily basis online by putting out your thoughts and opinions I'm sure you get people who are like man this 30 year old chick doesn't know what the fuck she's talking about don't listen to her man what do you know blah 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 I'm sure you get that right yeah yeah I get it. a lot of people assume I'm in my 20s like my early 20s and I'm giving life advice and right. um or or because I'm not a therapist that I you know everything I say is invalid and of course like I support therapy I think it's so important uh, anyone who studies specifics about mental health and and you know your mental struggles so valid mm -hmm. um, but what I'm doing is different it, I'm using myself as my own case study and everything I talk about is about me and if someone like relates to that that's it. That's all that matters ultimately. And if you don't relate to it, then that's fine. That's perfect. You don't relate to it. So you're not for me and I'm not for you. So after a while, like the more and more comments I get like that, the more and more I realize like, oh yeah, I'm not for everybody. And that's good. That's a good thing. So it, it used to hurt my feelings in the beginning. And now I'm realizing like, no, that's exactly what needs to happen. I'm weeding out the people that aren't for me and my message. 
and won't get it either way. So I don't need to please, again, going back to people pleasing, I don't need to please them. They're not, they, they don't need to be here. Yeah, that's another big realization, right? That I think a lot of us come to the closer we get to our 30s or at least, yeah, I think a lot of us do, which is like, you're not, I think if you're in a position where everybody likes you, it's a problem. Mm-hmm. If, or everybody, something's wrong here. You know what I mean? Because it's not even natural to be liked by everyone, to be friends with everyone. And again, talking about like trying to find a place between zero and a hundred, I think that is the healthy place where you understand, like, I'm just going to put myself out there and my vibe will attract my tribe as cringe as that might sound. That's really what it is. Like, I mean, you just be yourself and the people who are supposed to be with you will just gravitate towards you. Like I gravitated towards your content just because of what you were saying. It doesn't really matter what your certifications are or where you're from, what you look like. It's just this person saying some real shit that I don't really hear many other people saying. So I think that's still valuable. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And if it's helpful, it's helpful. Like that's, I think what matters the most. I listen to people online all the time that say things that just hit exactly as they needed to hit. And it doesn't matter who they are, like you said, or what their credentials are. If they say it the right way and it changes me in some way, that's all that matters. Mm -hmm. Another thing I wanted to know, kind of getting back to the content is I know that you don't really have any expectations around it, but how do you feel about the, the idea of free content versus paid content? Because some people might argue that access to digital content should be free and accessible to everyone and that you should just be giving tons of value and it'll come back to you in some way at some point. And then there are more conservative types who are like, no, this ain't a fucking charity. You're going to pay me for the value that I'm providing. And you give away a lot of stuff for free. You post tons of videos on TikTok. You have your podcast as well. So how do you see that? The free versus paid model of content production? Yeah, it is a tricky thing to to think about because like you said, it takes effort. It takes time. It takes energy. It's still my skills and my knowledge and my insights being used and being produced. Um, So I think, yeah, there has to be a middle ground um, somewhere there. What I try to do with my content is I use my TikTok as like the starting point. So I create all that. And then I use that to um, create my podcast episodes and then my Instagram posts. So I'm kind of repurposing the same stuff. So I'm not constantly creating new, new, new all the time for new, for every platform. That's really overwhelming. It takes a lot of too much energy and effort. Um, and also, I think, I think also the, the prices I offer for my services incorporate the effort that goes into my content as well, because that's how people are finding me. Mm. So I try to try to like figure it out that way. You know what I mean? Kind of compensate in that way. Yeah, that's interesting. But I mean, when you think about what you're doing now, do you think about this as uh, almost like an experiment or you, you kind of look at it more like, no, this is my career now and I'm all in invested into this thing. And this is just what I'm doing for the foreseeable future. Yeah, it's, it's a tricky thing, right? It's a little bit of both because there's still a part of me that has this uncertainty when it comes to anything creative or online exactly. because, you know, and part of that is my own, you know, my own childhood wounds of creativity is not a valid career choice. So you shouldn't be, you should be doing more serious things. So that's always still kind of a narrative in my mind. Mm. So I, I kind of balance between the two of like, oh, should I stick this out and continue with it? Or should I just go back to something normal, quote unquote, and do that instead? It's hard, right? Right now, I'm trying to find out what I feel best doing. And this is what I feel best doing. This is what makes me feel most purposeful. So that's what I'm trying to lean into. And, you know, again, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We never know. 
So yeah. if we can make every day at least enjoyable in this way, like this is the work I think is making me want to get up in the morning. I think that's important to, to keep in mind, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with that perspective 100%. At the same time, I was, uh, it's funny you said that. I was just listening to a podcast the other day at, on the Ezra Klein show, and they were talking about the case against loving what you do for a living. And the basic mm -hmm. idea is that only recently did we start romanticizing the idea that you should love what you do, that should it should be a vocation, it should be a calling, and it needs to be your purpose, and you need to find happiness in the work that you do because this is what you spend most of your time doing. Whereas in the past, your job was just a way to pay the bills. And if you have hobbies on the side, then you have hobbies to keep you fulfilled. And that maybe, I don't know where it started, but maybe with the pop, the rise in popularity of social media and people talking about these things more, especially more in the pandemic, when people realize like, damn, I can work from home. I can make a hundred thousand dollars a year talking about farming or puppies online or some crazy shit like that. Like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm, I'm really on the fence about it these days because I also think that people really underestimate the idea of creative work. They don't look at it as work because it's very hard to quantify creativity. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to quantify ideas when the creative industry is kind of what makes the world go around. I mean, businesses these days without a creative team to do their advertising and their branding and things like that, I mean, they're kind of fucked. Like it's a necessity these days. And even mm -hmm. still, it's treated as if it's not a profession. Creative writer is not a profession. Video editor, YouTuber is not a profession in some people's minds, which is fucking crazy to me. But anyway, I'm, I'm still on the fence about the idea of like loving what you do for a living. Because I think when you do that sometimes, it's very easy to get so emotionally invested and mm -hmm. then much of your identity into what it is that if it doesn't happen in the time period that you're hoping it does or if it doesn't manifest in the way you want, it can be very detrimental to your self-worth, to your confidence, and to the activity itself. You might just not want to do it anymore. So I'm sure this is stuff that you have struggled with at some point. I mean, how do you see that perspective that one maybe shouldn't love what they do and they should just maybe find what they're good at, get paid to do that, and keep their hobbies and pleasures on the side? Yeah, I think everybody's different, obviously. And sure. I think for me, there is it's a little bit of both. I think we need a little bit of both. I think the idea of you don't need to love your work was more for a time when work wasn't considered as necessary as it is right now. Like everybody's having to work a lot of hours and it's going back to capitalism, right? We're being forced to do that. So I think the push for us finding work that is enjoyable makes sense now because we have to do it a lot. We have to do it. Whereas, you know, maybe a century ago, we didn't have to do work that much. We did have time for other activities and hobbies, but it seems like uh, that's becoming less and less easy for most people to do. So you have to kind of find something that you enjoy so that you actually want to get up in the morning and do the things you need to do. Yeah, it's definitely true, but it's, it's hard, right? Because yeah. when you think about what a lot of us enjoy doing the most. It has nothing to do with mm -hmm. what we studied at university or what we're doing for our day job. Yeah. So even figuring out not only what you like to do, but how to monetize it, mm -hmm. really, really tough thing, which is why it's so interesting how you weren't even trying to do that. You were just making content and it just kind of yeah. fell in your lap. You know what I mean? It's like a rare thing. Yeah. yeah. Right? And I'm trying to keep in mind as well that for me, and I'm sure for many people, like I changed my mind, you know, my interests change with time. So that means I have to be comfortable being 
flexible with what I do. And I think when we force ourselves into one specific area or one specific career or one specific job title, it makes it so much harder to be flexible and allow yourself to flow in the direction that feels most aligned in that moment. Because if you change tomorrow, if you don't want to do what you're doing anymore, but you haven't allowed yourself to even be comfortable of changing, then how are you going to do that? Right? How are you going to pivot and do what you like a little bit more for as long as it's you know fun for you or enjoyable at least? Yeah, it's so true, man. It's so true. And I just don't, I, and that's kind of why I gravitate towards your content and I share it as much as possible because I think a lot of young people don't consider even this possibility that, hey, you might change your mind three years from now. It might be six months from now. You might switch careers, get six months in, and you're like, yo, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Let me backtrack a little bit and choose a different path. Even just that idea is unacceptable to a lot of people because maybe they told everyone, I'm going to do this, and your parents, I'm mad you dropped out to go do this thing, and it didn't work. And you're like, fuck, mom and dad, can I move back home? (laughs) Help, I need some money. You know, so I think a big part of it is also being humble and realizing, like, you know, it may not work and you may have to ask for help from time to time. Yeah. But it's much better than like getting yourself stuck into a situation because you're trying to prove something to other people and then you're just there and you can't get out of there ever and you're fucking depressed and miserable. It just it's not good on any level, yeah. man. That's why I don't know, man. I don't see university as the proper thing to do after high school. I think it'd be much better if like eighteen to twenty two I don't know what you're going to do, but you just need to go do something, just something, anything but university. Go like study a trade, travel a little bit, do something with all that money you would have spent on a degree because experience is what teaches you where you need to go and what you need to do. It's the feedback from the experience that you get that kind of lets you know, right? So, yeah, as you can tell, I'm not a big, it's funny because I'm a fucking teacher and even still, I'm just like, man, fuck, it's stupid. Yeah, It's it's not for everyone. Definitely. Yeah. 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 For me, it was exactly what I needed to do. It was way more aligned for me than high school was. It's allowed me to, in a weird way, how I learned to structure my days in university is how I structure my days now. So for me, it was beneficial in the sense of learning how to have autonomy over my schedule and to manage my things and my, my projects and all that stuff. Looking back like, over a decade. Oh, hang on. I like doing now. Can you hear me? Yep. Ah, okay. Yeah, it like froze and sped up for a oh, second. Okay. The last thing I heard was you saying basically the way you structured your days at university is the same way you structure your days now. So I'm curious to know what is like a typical day for you? What is your routine? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it fluctuates throughout the week, obviously, because it depends on when I have calls scheduled. Um, I do still do copywriting for brands. So I, I, I fish that, like finish that and do that throughout the week as well. Um, but I do a lot of content creation, batch content creation. I schedule those days in, um, I make sure I'm still getting in some, uh, writing that I enjoy doing, whether that's for my website, cause I write small books that are helpful. I call them handbooks to help mm-hmm. through these different topics. Um, yeah, so it really just fluctuates. I go by what, and this is what I'm trying my best to do is I go by what's best in any given moment, rather than forcing myself into a structure of like the nine to five, the typical work day, because it's so ingrained in me to believe that that's how I have to function when it's not at all what function what works for me. I, yeah. I'm miserable when I work in that way. Sometimes I, I want to work a little bit more in the morning. Sometimes I want to look work a little bit more at night. And I'm trying to cultivate a lifestyle that allows me to do that. And it's not easy. It's really difficult and still makes you question yourself and your worth when you're not doing as much as you should be doing. 
in you know 24 hours but yeah that's a tough one is feeling like you should, especially when you're working for yourself and you're independent and you know it's all on you you get into almost like a productivity mode where you just feel like you just need to be accomplishing things all the time when it's actually giving you the reverse effect like you just you're setting yourself up for burnout and you're not performing at the highest mm-hmm. level because you're just forcing yourself to put you can't force creativity in the first place so it's really really not good for you and i think that money management is a big part of that too because when you're working for yourself and even if you like you know where the next paycheck is coming from you have paying clients and everything as we learned in 2020 shit could change really 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 fast so i think um that's another thing is like self-discipline on the monetary side which gives you the freedom to then just go try shit without being afraid of what the result is going to be, you know? Exactly. It's, it's a huge yeah. Thing. And again, I see that as self-trust, just trying to learn how to trust yourself to do the stuff you need to do to make sure you're functioning. Okay. And your life's going to be okay. If you don't have that mm-hmm. working for yourself, especially is so difficult. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. All right. Well, Katarina, let's uh, wrap this up before we go. Where can people find out more about you? Where should they go? Um, you can follow me on TikTok at Katerina Writes. Um, Katerina Writes on Instagram as well. My podcast is Nobody Is Doing It Right. Um, yeah, all that stuff uh, is where I spend most of my time online. But yeah, I'm trying to think, is there anything else? No, that's main social media platforms I use. All right, sounds good. Well, thank yeah. you for coming on the show. Really enjoyed uh, chatting with you. Thanks so much for inviting me. This was great. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.